We're also short a Kid Vespers volunteer next week, so that's one thing to keep in mind uh, as this is going around. Um, if anybody would like to uh, see it, and there's the pin. And Lane, do we have any other announcements today? Or no, Eric is still on vacation. Uh, I spoke to him, and they were headed out to Oregon, so. They're probably enjoying their weather much more than we are, though the rain has been nice, hasn't it? He didn't enjoy the rain. <laughs> well, I liked it too. I enjoyed it very much. I was even uh, barbecuing while it was raining. I was out right in the middle of a... It wasn't a bad rain, but uh, it was definitely coming down, so that was nice. So we're in the midst of a year-long series about rooted discipleship. Uh, when you are a disciple, it means that you are a, um, a disciplined learner of a teacher. And our teacher, of course, is Jesus. And so we've been going through all of the values um, that we hold dear here at the village. We started off with authenticity. And we moved on to the disciplines, and I know we did one, oh, it was creativity we did as well, and now we are in the midst of a series on truth. And with truth, we're, we're talking about some of the tenets or um, basic foundations of the Christian faith. And one of those is the sinlessness of Jesus. One of the things that we believe as Christ followers is that Jesus Christ, while he was on earth, committed no sin. And what I'm going to attempt to do today is explain how that works and why that's important to us if we're going to be Christians or discipled learners, disciplined learners of Jesus. Now, the first thing you might have noticed as I've been standing up here is that usually when I come to give a sermon, I like to dress up. And I have not today. In fact, I'm wearing a shirt that some of you may get, and some of you may not. It's a WWJD shirt. Now, who, back in the late 90s, kind of got caught into the What Would Jesus Do movement? I know I did. They had shirts, they had little bracelets that you could wear. Um, this is WWJD, what would Jason do? Jason being the uh, hockey uh, mask-wearing villain of the Friday the 13th movies. How many of us have seen at least one of those? At least a couple of us, all right. So wearing this shirt proves two things. Number one, I am an 80s geek. And number two, I have a very twisted sense of humor. Um, no, actually, I wear this shirt, though, as a reminder that I can't do what Jesus did. I, I got caught up in the, in the What Would Jesus Do movement, and it put a lot of pressure on me as a Christian because I know that, try as I might, I can't live up to that potential. And I think that the, the problem with the What Would Jesus Do movement is it, 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 number one, it, it makes you feel captive to something that you're not captive to. It, it makes you feel captive to your performance. 
It makes you think that you have to do something in order to earn God's love. And you can't. There's nothing that you can do. And the other thing that it does is I don't think that it paints a very good picture of what exactly sin is. Sin is what we do, but if we don't understand the other facets of sin, then we don't get a complete picture. And so that's what I want to do. A couple weeks ago, David Ganey was here, um, and he broke down a lot about the evil of sin and, and men and women and our broken sinful nature. So I'm not going to rehash all of that, but I want to point out three things that I've noticed that, that sin is. And the first thing is, it is what we do. It is the wrongful acts that we perform. Uh, in Romans 3.23, Paul says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's an all-encompassing thing. We are all sinners. We all do things that we wish we didn't do, whether it be something like overeating or lying or looking at things on the Internet that we're not supposed to or getting drunk or just doing good things for the wrong reasons, like doing charity work. And this is something that David brought up a couple weeks ago. You do something that's really, really good, but you're doing it so that other people can look at you and say, hey, that guy's a really good person. He's a really good Christian. So we do good things for the wrong reasons. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. So that's one of the biggest problems, is that every single person, save one, in the history of time, has committed wrong against God, against our neighbors, against this world. So sin is what we do. But sin is also who we are. It's also the nature of life that we live in. A great reminder of this is actually in the book of James. James chapter 4 verse 14 says, Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are the midst that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It's kind of a weighty subject. We talk about bad health. We talk about death. Um, but it is a reality that we live in. Every single person in this room is going to get sick. And eventually, I don't want to be a doomsdayer, but it's unfortunate, we're all going to die. My father uh, just had a scare, a health scare. He had a cancer in his kidney. His kidney was about 10 centimeters long, and the cancer was 6 centimeters long. So he had to go and have a surgery done that removed the kidney. Now, thankfully, they were able to note that the kidney was completely, uh, the cancer was completely contained in the kidney, so he doesn't have cancer anymore. But the fact that he's missing a kidney is proof that our bodies are subject to sin. Last Sunday, I wasn't here. I was doing some stuff, helping out in my parents' house. I noticed a little tightness in my chest. Freaked me out a little bit, so I went over to the ER just to get checked out. I'm fine. It is just a uh, byproduct of the generalized anxiety disorder that I've struggled with for years. But even that, even just the fact that I have 
generalized anxiety disorder is proof that our bodies and our minds are subject to sin. The sin is also where we are. This world. This world is not perfect. We have natural disasters, rain, thunderstorms, fires, earthquakes. But not only that, but there's evil and corruption in the world. Things happen that shouldn't happen. Um, Genesis 6.11 says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. So this place isn't safe. Any number of things can happen that can, can kill us and can make things very dangerous. The entire world that we live in is fallen and is subject to sin. You kind of have to sit in that in order to feel the gravity of it, don't you? It's not a very fun place to be. And that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons as to why the sinlessness of Jesus is very, very important. Because how do we deal with the problem of sin? Well, in order to get a picture of that, we have to kind of look back in the Bible and see how it was dealt with classically or historically. So, if you look back in the beginning of the Bible, in Exodus and Leviticus, what are the rules for sacrifice to be forgiven of sin? Well, we can take a look, and if you want to open your Bibles, you're more than welcome to do that. I'm going to take a look at Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. And there it says that the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So what I've been reading is is a uh, excerpt from what is called the Passover. This was the very first Passover. And one of the rules was to take a an unblemished lamb. A lamb without defect. And later on you'll find that, that this This lamb is symbolic of something. And we're going to connect the dots here as we go along. But I want to kind of hang in the Old Testament a little bit more. uh, And I want to take a look at Leviticus. Leviticus uh, chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 17 through 23. 
Uh, these are the rules for ongoing sacrifice for sin offerings. And this is the Lord speaking to Moses. This is when um, Moses was writing down all the laws. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites and say to them, If, if any of you, whether an Israelite or a foreigner residing in Israel, presents a gift for a burnt offering to the Lord, either to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering, you must present a male without defect from the cattle, sheep or goats, in order that it may be accepted on your behalf. Do not bring anything with a defect, because it will not be accepted on your behalf. When anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or as a freewill offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured, or the maimed, or anything with warts or festering or running sores. Do not place any of these on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. You may, however, present it as a freewill offering, an ox or a sheep that is deformed or stunted, if it will not be accepted in fulfillment of a vow. So in order to have a burnt offering, the animal has to be without defect, without blemish. No scars, no blemishes, no sores. This was very important. Why is it important, though? Why is it important that the um, Israelites present animals that don't have defects in it? Well, I think, and I believe, that it's because these sacrifices are a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus was going to make when he took our sins to the cross. I really believe that that's what God was having people to do. And of course, most these people were not alive when Jesus was. But I really believe that this, these words were written down as a foreshadowing, a pointing forward to the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make. And uh, there's a lot of symbolism in the Bible of Jesus being an unblemished lamb. One of my favorite verses is in the Old Testament, and it's a prophecy by the prophet Isaiah. And it's in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah is a huge book, and if you ever have the opportunity, I really, I really uh, encourage you to camp out in there and just and just read some of the gems that that have been left for us there. But this this in particular is beautiful. Isaiah is foreshadowing something here. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. 
a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmaries and carried out our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crucified for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was led like a sheep. Like a lamb to the slaughter. Yet he himself committed no sin. He was led like the unblemished lamb to the slaughter. And that is the first of many uh, places in the Bible where, where Jesus is equated with a, with a lamb. Uh, another place is in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. And I'm going to start in uh, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so your faith and hope in God uh, so your faith and hope are in God. So you, you see what we've done here. We've we've taken the, the 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 image of the unblemished lamb from the Leviticus and from Exodus, and we've tied that into the prophecies of Isaiah, and we've moved into into First Peter, and First Peter is declaring Jesus to be the unblemished lamb. Um, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these times for your sake. He was made as a sacrifice in our place. So now that we've established Jesus as the unblemished lamb, we need to, we need to find out what that means. What is sinlessness? What is it? And I also think it's kind of important to take a look at what sinlessness isn't. So the first thing I want to look at is what sinlessness is. And we'll use examples from Jesus' ministry. The first thing that sinlessness is, is doing the will of the Father. In John verse uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 19, uh, Jesus is... Is answering people a question. He says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. 
He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So here we have Jesus, and he was born just like all the rest of us were. I mean, he was he was a human being that lived the same way that we did, but he had the ability to do whatever he wanted to do. And if he wanted to, he could have done his own will, and he could have become a, a great man who he could have established a kingdom, an earthly kingdom, and he could have been rich. And he could have done whatever he wanted to do with that money. But he did not do any of those things. He did only the will that the Father had laid down for him to do. Everything that he did, every miracle that he performed, was the Father's will. Uh, Another thing that sinlessness is, is it is not deceptive. Jesus never deceived anyone. The word deception or to be deceiving means to lead someone down a wrong path or to say something is true that isn't. Uh, and again, in First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-two, Peter says, "To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly." So Jesus did not deceive anyone. While he was alive, he never led anyone down the wrong path. He never told anybody something that wasn't true. One of the best examples of this was that he never lied about what was going to happen to him, even when his disciples pressed him. Um, he always was honest. He said, look, I'm going to die a very horrible death. They're going to take me from you. This is going to happen. He didn't have to tell his disciples that. And the disciples didn't believe him, even though he did. But he never never once said, no, no, everything's going to be hunky-dory. Everything is going to be just fine. Just trust in me. You're going to have everything that you ever want, and I'm going to be with you forever. He never once deceived them about what was going to happen and how horrible it was going to be. But he also never deceived about that he would come back. He would raise from the dead and he would also send the Holy Spirit. Another thing that he was he never deceived about was he never deceived people <clears throat> about giving people what they wanted. Like the house of Israel, the Jewish nation, what they really wanted was to overthrow Rome. They wanted to overthrow Caesar and live in the land that they had been promised. But Jesus always, in fact, he, didn't, he never told them that they could do that, but he also warned <clears throat> against that. Uh, 
Uh, he told them that if they were going to go down that road, that would it be toward, to their detriment. For their absolute detriment. He warned them to not go down that road. <clears throat> but they did anyway, and we know what happened in uh, A.D. 70. It was the uh, fall of Israel. And another thing that uh, sinlessness is, is it's selfless. Um, in John fifteen thirteen, the verse says, Greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. <clears throat> that is the uh, most selfless act that anyone can do. is to uh, lay down their life for their friends. And that's the, the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus gave was when He went to the cross for our sins. And I'd like I'd also like to talk about what sinlessness isn't. <clears throat> Being tempted is not sin. Because uh, Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan. He was tempted three times by Satan. And in, uh, in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, uh, Uh, Jesus was was tempted in the desert. The de uh, the devil told him that he could have riches. He could have if he threw himself off of a cliff. The angels would catch him, but Jesus did not give in to those things. So you should you should feel confident that when you are tempted in life, you're not sinning. Now, if you give in to those temptations, you are sinning. But just because you're being tempted doesn't mean that you are sinning. And it's a good thing to remember. Also being sad and grieving is not sin. Jesus grieved when he was on earth. He was not afraid to be sad. He was not afraid to mourn. 
when they told him about Lazarus, one of his good friends. And Jesus knew at that point that he was going to go to that grave and he was going to bring Lazarus out of that grave. And yet, he still grieved. He still cried. When they told him about John the Baptist being killed, what did Jesus do? He cried. He grieved. He mourned. So, don't ever let anybody tell you that crying and grieving is sinful. I think it's an only natural thing. It's one of the ways that we react to the sin nature that we all live in. And finally, also, um, being afraid is not sin. It better not be, because I just been having a panic attack while I've been up here speaking to you all. So, Jesus himself was also afraid. And that's not something that I say lightly. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, one of the things that Jesus did when he was praying was he asked God if it would be in his will to take this cup away from him so that he didn't have to do what God had sent him to do. In Luke, it talks about how Jesus was sweating droplets of blood. Now, as scared as I've been in my life, I've never done that. I can't even imagine the amount of anguish that somebody would have to be in for that to happen. So when life scares you, and it will, you're not sinning. Now what you do with that fear can certainly be sin, but being afraid isn't sin. In fact, I've always, I've always believed that being brave isn't the absence of fear. It's being scared but doing whatever it was you were going to do anyway. So what does all this mean for us? We know that Jesus was the unblemished lamb. And we know that he was the perfect sacrifice. And we know that he was sinless and that we are not. So what does that mean for us? Well, the first thing that it means, and the most important thing that it means, is it means that we're able to worship God directly. We can go into the Holy of Holies and worship God right at the throne. We don't have to sacrifice animals to, in order to do that. We don't have to have a priest do that on a, in, a, in our place. In the temple, there's a, there's a place where only Aaron, the priest, could go, and that was the Holy of Holies. And that was where God dwelt. And back in the Old Testament, people like you and I were not allowed to go in there Probably not even people like Rod. And he's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, I don't know, and I know that I take this for granted. And that's one of my sins, and it's something that I need to work on. But 
I get to go right at the feet of God and I get to talk to Him about everything that's going on. My hopes, my dreams, my fears, my wants. I don't have to have somebody do that in my place. I can go right to God and say, God, I need your help. Father, I need you to take care of this because I don't know how to take care of it. The second thing it allows us to do is it allows us to make mistakes. You can and will screw up. It's going to happen. Now, this is not a license to go and just do whatever you want. I'm not saying you should go, you should leave this church and go and get drunk or, you know, do any number of those things. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when, when things happen and you mess up, it's okay. Because mistakes are welcome and they're also expected. God the Father knows you're going to mess up. That's why he sent Jesus in the first place. And the third thing that it allows us to do is it allows us to to shed the sin nature and live in our true identity. Now, back in January, I gave a sermon about authenticity. And one of the things that I talked about was sanctification. And what that means, sanctification is basically the putting to death of sin and becoming more and more Christ-like. And it's not something that happens overnight. It's not even something that happens over 10 years. It is something that you will experience in your entire lifetime once you become a Christian until you die. And Christ being sinless, since we are incapable of being perfect, His sinlessness allows us to focus more on Jesus, focus more on God the Father, and live more and more into that reality the closer that we get to glory. 